Thanks for listening to the Refuel Podcast. Be sure to tune in every Thursday for a new episode. If you have your Bible, we're not going to get too deep into it tonight, but turn to Matthew chapter 5. Um, and as maybe you were thinking about Jordan and everything that he kind of gave up um, for a little under a week to serve in Cuba, I mean, did you hear that? He gave up his streaks for Jesus. Like, that's a big deal, right? Uh, he gave up his streaks for Jesus. Um, we're getting into uh, a series that we're starting tonight. We're just kind of kicking it off. And then we're going to continue the series um, over the next few weeks. And here's the series is called The Greatest Sermon Ever. It's from Jesus' Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5. It's the longest single recording of Jesus' teaching um, that we've ever been given. And it covers some areas that I think hit pretty hard, especially when it comes to teenagers. Here's some of the issues that Jesus covers in the sermon. True righteousness, anger, lust, integrity, enemies, life goals, anxiety. Y'all don't have anxiety, right? Judging. Covers some very, not just interesting, very like ground level things that we deal with every day, it seems like. So if you're in Matthew chapter 5, tonight what we're going to do is we're just going to look at his intro. You know, every good sermon is supposed to have an intro. Um, and Jesus' intro, he just starts right off. And you got to hear from Jordan, like he get, he's, he's gone on trips and he doesn't just go on trips once a year and check the box. Like I know Jordan pretty well and Jordan wants to serve Jesus. Jordan wants to give his life to Jesus. And I pray that's your goal, that's your goal too. Whether that means going across the world to serve Jesus or serving Jesus in your house or serving Jesus at school. Um, but what does it mean to be a disciple of Jesus? Maybe you've heard that word before. Um, what, is, what does it mean to be a disciple or a follower of Jesus? Um, in Matthew chapter 5, the intro of Jesus' sermon that he gives, he kind of tells us what it means to be a real disciple of Jesus, a real follower of Jesus. So tonight, this is not a, you know, something that, that I came up with. This is actually the title of a book. It's a very good book. If you're a book reader, maybe you'll want to get this book. Um, the book is called Not a Fan. It's by Kyle Eidelman. And he asks this question, are you a fan or are you a follower of Jesus? Are you someone who just kind of shows up when it's fun to be at Refuel? You call yourself a Christian, but when push comes to shove, you're not really going to live for Jesus. Or are you someone who follows Jesus? You live for him every day. That's what Jesus asks at the beginning of this Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5. So what we're going to do over the next 10 minutes as we're just going to look at the intro and kind of set the stage for next week um, when we really dive into this sermon. But Jesus gives us three, three things that define a follower of Jesus. They all start with L. So if you want to follow Jesus, you need to get these three L words. And at the end of each of these L words, I'm trying to get the alliteration game strong, there is something that we have to give to God. Um, there is something that, that specifically we have to do in order to follow Jesus. So at the end of each L word, there's an S word. Okay? So we're going to talk about the three L words that talk about following Jesus. And we're going to think about how can we do that by hitting those three S words. So if you have your Bible, um, let's read. Somehow I cut my finger. I am falling apart. I've got a bad foot. My, I, I shouldn't just hold this finger up. But um, yeah, my, my finger is cut. We'll get through this. Let's look at Matthew chapter 5. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. We'll stop right there. Easy enough place to stop. Jesus had just been baptized 
Maybe you've heard the story before. There's this guy named John the Baptist. He was having, a lot of people are talking about revivals lately. John the Baptist was having a revival in a river. People were coming and they were turning to God and John was baptizing these people. Their lives were being changed. He was preaching a message of repentance and as John's baptizing people, this huge crowd gathers around him. John says, look, there's the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. Jesus comes and is baptized. It says the Spirit of God descended like a dove on Jesus. Um, God's voice thundered down. This is my Son and whom I'm well pleased. And that's when Jesus began his ministry. He was 30 years old. The first thing that happened was he went out into a desert, a wilderness, and he was tempted by Satan for 40 days. 40 nights. Of course, Jesus, God in a bod, 100% God, 100% man, he, he withstands the temptation, right? He aces it. Um, and as he emerges from the wilderness, Jesus starts recruiting team. He recruits his 12 dudes, his 12 disciples, and they start to go and they start to do things. You can actually see in Matthew chapter 4 some of the things they do. It says, he went all through Galilee, teaching in the synagogues, proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. Here's where it gets really wild. He was healing every disease. Can you imagine what it was like? You know, people come with a bad foot like me, pff, fixed. You know, people come with uncurable diseases, pff, fixed. Like Jesus healing people right and left. Those afflicted with various diseases and pains. Those oppressed by demons. He cast the demons out of them. Those having seizures and paralytics, people who couldn't walk. He healed them and they could walk. And great crowds followed him. You think? Like, if this was happening tonight somewhere, like, we'd all be getting in the church ghetto vans and we'd be driving to where this was going on, right? Because we'd want to be around what was happening, what Jesus was doing. So it says, great crowds were following him from Galilee, from the Decapolis, from Jerusalem and Judea and beyond the Jordan, from every area. They're coming and following Jesus. So Jesus has this massive crowd around him. And that's where in Matthew chapter 5, verse 1, we find Jesus. And what does it say? It says that Jesus saw the crowds, He's like, oh, that's a big group of people. So it says, he went up on a mountain. And he sat down and his disciples came to him. Have you ever heard a sermon or been to a church where the pastor gets up to preach a sermon? And he just, I don't want to miss it. He just sits down. Usually we think of the pastor gets behind the pulpit, everybody else sits down and he stands up and you listen to the dude that's standing up. In the Jewish culture, it was flipped. The people who were the respected teachers and the respected rabbis would come to the synagogue and they would sit and they would read scripture as everybody else sometimes would stand in reverence of the person who was teaching. And what we see here is that Jesus sat. And when he sat down, what happened? His disciples or his followers, they came to him. They realized that what he realized what he was doing. He was getting ready to teach them. Then it says in verse 2, he opened his mouth and taught them. That the way that that's all phrased and the tense that it's phrased in makes it sound as if the writer is saying that Je this wasn't just w one time that Jesus did this, but this was how Jesus did most of his teaching. That he would sit down, people would realize he was getting ready to sit down, they would come to him and they would listen to him. So that brings us to our first mark of a follower of Jesus or a disciple of Jesus. This is what they said, this is what the, this is what the hill that they believe, I, I want to go to Israel so bad. Like I was saw off my leg if it would mean I could go to maybe not um, I would I would do just about anything it would yeah I, yeah I, I wouldn't sell my firstborn 
Um, I don't know. There's some things I wouldn't do, but there's a lot I would do. You know, there's a lot I would do. I'd give up listening to country music for five years to go to, 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 go to Israel. But this is the mountain they believe that Jesus taught his, his disciples on. So you can see Jesus sitting at the top of the mountain. It reminds me of the Barbersville Park Amphitheater. You know, Jesus sitting at the top of the mountain and all these, this crowd just is, is all the way down the mountain listening to Jesus talking. But this is the first thing we learn about a true disciple of Jesus. A true disciple of Jesus is a learner. That's your first L word. It's a learner. These people could have been anywhere. These people originally came, right, to see Jesus like cast demons out of people. Like that's a movie I want to watch, right? I mean, maybe not really like the Hollywood version, but like I want to see that. They came to see Jesus heal people who couldn't walk. I want to see that, right? But Jesus came and he sat down and began teaching. They could have been like, oh, well, the interesting stuff's done. I'm out. Pizza's gone. I'm out, you know, <laughs> yeah, yeah. all the fun stuff's over, I'm out. But what does it say? It says they came to him and they sat with him and they learned from him. If you want to be a disciple, you have to be teachable. If you, have to, if you want to be a disciple, you actually have to want to learn from Jesus. Tell me the books you read, the things you listen to, the things you watch, and I'll tell you what's teaching you. Yeah, every, yeah, some of you are more studious than others, right? Who here will admit you're not the most studious person? I put both hands up. Like I, like I was Mr. Procrastinator in school, right? But that doesn't mean you're not a learner. Everybody's a learner. The question is, who are you learning from and what are you learning from? You are being taught every day whether you realize it or not. Some of you are taught by your scrolling, and by your, you know, this is how you learn. Some of you read. Some of you, it's the people you hang out with. It reminds me of what the psalmist says in Psalm chapter 1. It says, blessed is the man who doesn't walk in the counsel of the wicked, stand in the way of sinners, sit in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. Do you notice like the progression in this? I might not get to all three points. You notice the progression of this? First it says, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly. Or stands in the way of sinners. Or sits in the seat of scoffers. Do you notice that like the influences you have, first you start walking with people. You have acquaintances that, 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 that influence you. But then you start standing with them. You start spending more time with them. They influence you more. And then you end up sitting with them and they really influence you. Those are your bros and your bras, the people you're close to. What we see here in Matthew is that these disciples came and they sat with Jesus. So the question is, are you a learner? Obviously you're a learner, but who are you learning from? You're learning from Jesus. The word disciple can also be translated an apprentice of Jesus, a learner of Jesus. These disciples didn't just sit and listen to him. They walked with him. They spent time with him. So the question is, how much time are you spending with God? How much time are you spending sitting with Jesus and learning from him? It's not rocket science. It's like literally you pick up this book and you sit with Jesus and you learn from him. You get together with your bros and your bras in Christ and you open God's word together and learn together. You go gather with the people of God on Sunday morning. You listen as pastor explains God's word and we learn together and we sit with Jesus together. If you want to be a disciple of Jesus, a follower of Jesus, you got to be a learner. The next L word is, oh, here's your S word by the way. Watch who you sit with. Who are you sitting with? Watch who you sit with. Um, next L word, the disciple of Jesus is a liver. But not this kind of liver. You're someone who lives a life that's pleasing to God. What does Jesus do? The first thing he says, everybody's listening. They're getting ready to, I, I can imagine a hush fell over the crowd because they're like, this guy that just cast demons out is getting ready to teach us. Let's see what he has to say. What's the first thing Jesus says? Own the libs. 
No, he didn't say that. What's the first thing Jesus said? He said, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. He goes through what we know as, people call it the Beatitudes. If you want to hear some really, really good detail on the Beatitudes, go to lmbc.org and listen to the sermon series that Pastor Lemming preached last year on the Beatitudes. He broke them down one by one by one by one. But essentially what this word blessed means, everybody thinks blessed is just like some term you throw around, blessed. You know, it means to be, it means to be, it means to be happy. Um, it literally means to be in a happy condition and to live a happy life. And here's what's so cool about these Beatitudes. We don't have time to break them down but one by one. Each of these things requires zero talent. Some people think to be happy in life, you have to have the right kind of romantic relationship. You have to have the right kind of job. And you have to have the right kind of grades. And you have to just be, wake up in the morning and just ooze excellence from every orifice of your body. But what we see here is that the key to a happy life isn't things that require talent. It's attitudes that require devotion to God. So let's look at them. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Those are people who realize they need God. Blessed are those who mourn. If you really look into this this translation here, it has to do with being mournful of your sin. Being ready to turn from a life of sin. They'll be comforted. Blessed are the meek. Meekness means strength under control. In, in my vernacular, it means I have the power to kick your butt, but I'm not going to do it. Like, I have the power to just rip you a new one, but I'm not going to do it. Blessed are the meek. It takes zero talent to be meek. It takes devotion to God. It takes self-control. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. They have godly goals. They want to live a Jesus-filled life, for they'll be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful. Merciful is withholding wrath that people are due. Some of you, it's all you can do to be merciful to people in your house or people in your school. But blessed are the merciful. Happy are the merciful. It takes zero talent to be merciful. It just takes will. Blessed are the pure in heart. People that have the right motives and are living a pure life before God for they'll see God. Blessed are the peacemakers. Not the peacekeepers, peacemakers. For there, they'll be called sons of God. Blessed are you who are persecuted for righteousness sake. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. You see these, these all involve the way that we live. It's great to come to refuel and to hear from God's word. It's great to have little Bible studies and learn from God's word. But the problem is what a lot of Christians do is all they do is study the Bible. And they never live the Bible. Um, I love to hunt. And um, I don't always get out for bow season, but I'm always out for rifle season. And if I were to get a brand new rifle and just be ready for hunting season, man, a nice, you know, Winchester 700, 30-06, knock the deer down, don't let them run. And I was ready to go hunt. So I invited some of my buddies over that I know like to hunt. Like I had Trevor come over, Hunter come over, some of you guys that like to hunt. And I said, guys, I'd like to get together and talk about the best ways to hunt. So we'd spend time reading books about hunting. We'd spend time you know, you know, getting all our doe urine collected and together. And we spend time doing all the things that we need to do. And then the first day of the season, say, hey guys, I think first day of the season, let's all meet 4 o'clock a.m. in my garage and we'll read the hunting books again. And we'll talk about the best ways to hunt. So you're like, kind of weird, but okay. The next day of the season, I'm like, hey guys, let's get back together and talk about the best ways to hunt again. And the whole hunting season, all we do is talk about the best ways to hunt and we never hunt. 
You realize that sometimes Christians do the same thing. Bible studies are great. Talking about Jesus is great. But we get together and say, what's the best way to live for God? What's the best way to live for God? What's the best way to live for God? And Christians never live for God. All they do is talk about it. So if you want to be, I got a little loud, sorry. If we want to be a follower of Jesus, it means we have to be a liver. We have to live what Jesus says and what Jesus expects. The final section, verse 13. Hunter, can you bring my props up? You are the light of the world. Or excuse me, you are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. Feet. You are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, so they may see good work and give glory to your Father in heaven. Do you see the two object lessons Jesus gives? He gives salt and he gives light for the way that we're supposed to light up the world. By the way, the S word for being, in liver, for being a liver is to walk in step with Jesus' teaching. If you're a note taker and you're anal about taking notes, walk in step with Jesus' teaching. But we have to be a lighter. We have to be people who light the world up for Jesus. It's not just good enough um, to, to learn from Jesus. It's not just good enough to live for Jesus. We have to take the message of Jesus to others. And the two, the two um, objects that he uses are salt and Light, you're the salt of the earth and you're the light of the world. What do we know about salt? When I think about salt, I think about Lay's potato chips. Um, they used to, when I was a kid, one of their famous commercials for Lay's was, I bet you can't eat just one. Have you ever tried to eat just one chip? I'm driving some of you crazy that hate chewing sounds here. My chewing through the microphone, isn't it? But it's hard to just eat one chip. See if you can. Anybody like chips? They're hard to throw. Uh oh, I can't get the oomph behind it. I'm going to throw the last two. All right. But what is, think about it, think about it. Jesus says we're a salt of the earth. There are two things that salt does. The first thing that salt does is it seasons and it creates a desire for more. That's why you can't eat just one potato chip. You have to keep eating. And God calls us as Christians to live, be a liver of a life that's pleasing God. What happens when you start living for Jesus? People start saying, you're different. You're different. I want what you have. I'm interested in the message that you have. Salt creates desire. But not only does salt create desire, salt preserves especially during the first century in the Jewish culture, they didn't have refrigerators. They couldn't keep their meat from spoiling. So what they would do is they would cover it in salt and salt would preserve the meat. And did you know that we still use salt or it's called cure sometimes to preserve meat, certain kinds of meat that some of y'all like? You know what I mean? They use salt. <laughs> now I'm really getting a response. They use salt to preserve Beef jerky. Cameron. <laughs> All right. 
So here's the truth about, I almost hit some of y'all, sorry. Here's the truth about salt. It preserves, it keeps meat from spoiling. If they didn't put salt in that beef jerky you're eating right now, it would be spoiled. You would have the Hershey squirts for days after you ate that. But thank you, salt. You can eat it and you can enjoy it. And as Christians, as followers of Jesus, not only do we create a desire for more of Jesus, we preserve the culture around us by being the ambassadors for God. Isn't it interesting? Isn't it interesting that if you were to look around and, there, and, and, and you, were to, you were to say, what, what, what are people, who is it that's reaching out to teenagers who get pregnant? You know who it is? It's the people of God. Our church is getting ready to throw our second baby shower for teen moms who have been going through our crisis pregnancy center downtown. That's being a preservative. That's holding on to culture. That's encouraging people to choose life. We as Christians are also supposed to be preservatives in our culture. So Jesus, you know, we're salt. We, 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 uh, we, we, we create desire for Jesus. We preserve the, the, the goodness and the truth of God in our culture. But then he says that we're light. You're the salt of the earth and you're the light of the world. A city that's set on a hill cannot be hidden. We're supposed to be light where we go. And he says, it's kind of one of the, you remember the, the, school, the Sunday school song? This little light of mine. And then remember, the, the other song, hide it under a bushel. No, I'm going to let it shine. Hide it under a bushel. No, I'm going to let it. Okay. Yeah, so some of y'all went to Sunday school. Here's the thing. We're supposed to be light for God, but so many of us, it would, it would kill you. You, you would melt into a puddle of ooze at your school if somebody knew you were a Christian. And when you do that, you deprive people of the light that they need in their life. Do you realize how powerful light is? The book of John talked about Jesus as the light of the world that shined in the darkness and the darkness did not overcome it. Because here, I've never seen darkness that could overpower light. Like you turn a light on in a room and there's never been a room so dark that a light won't light. You ever think about that? There's been a room so light that you can't find darkness in it, but there's never been a room so dark that a light can't light. And what Jesus says is you have power. You, ha you have the, the presence of God and you have the teachings of Jesus and you, ha you, you have devotion to Jesus. Take your light and let others see it. He says that our light is our good works that we do in the name of Jesus. So we have to be a lighter. So the S word for that if you want to be a lighter is you got to be salt, not salty. You got to be salt, not salty. Uh, sometimes Christians come across too much salty and not enough like salt. Instead of creating a desire for Jesus, they create a repulsion against Jesus because of the way we come across. We're going to see later in, 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 in this Sermon on the Mount that God did not call us to pronounce judgment on every single thing everybody does. Because we're supposed to be salt, not salty. God tells us we're supposed to manage our own lust and repent of our own lust instead of pointing at other people as the reason why we struggle with lust. We're supposed to be salt, not salty. So essentially what, what the question is, is are you a fan of Jesus? Are you a follower of Jesus? Do you take time to learn from him? Do you live out what you learn? And then do you take this life that you have with him and light up the world for Jesus? That was Jesus's introduction to his greatest, the greatest sermon ever. We're going to come back next week and we're going to be talking about anger.
Um, so go out next week, get angry, so that then you can come and repent of it next week. Okay, that's a joke, by the way. Be kind, be nice, be salt, not salty. Um, so I'm gonna pray, and then we're gonna pray and get out of here. Um, God, thank you for uh, the fact that we have the preserved words of Jesus. Um, every word in the Bible are your words. Uh, but God, thank you that we, can, we have a record of some of the things that you, you said with your human mouth here on earth so that we can know how you react to things and we can see your nature and we can see, we can see you on earth. Um, God, I pray that as over the next few weeks, we talk about what you say in this sermon. Uh, we, we go through some truths that are, in some cases, they're, they're gonna be very difficult and they're gonna be controversial and confrontational. God, that we'll remember that you're the one that has all truth, that we learn from you and we live for you and that in turn, through this series, we'll be able to light up the world for you. We know there are people who, who are going through terrible situations, who have no hope apart from you. So God, I pray that as a part of this series, it'll, it'll build us up so that we can take the gospel um, into our schools and then ultimately around the world. In Jesus' name. Thanks again for listening to the Refuel Podcast. If you have any questions or would like to review the notes from this podcast, be sure to download the Refuel app from the App Store on any mobile device.